You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and other guests discuss primary care issues that are on their minds and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and today I'm talking about sports and coronavirus. Joining me are Drs. Naomi Brown and Matthew Grady, who are both pediatric sports medicine specialists in the Division of Orthopedic Surgery, also at CHOP. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Hi, Katie. Thanks for having us. It's our pleasure to talk about COVID and the return to sports. So the benefits of participation in youth sports are well-documented. We know that sports have benefits in physical and mental health, as well as social skills, academic performance, and resilience. Many of these benefits could have been useful for kids during the pandemic, but due to school closures and social distancing guidelines, kids were not able to continue playing their sports. Now that we've embraced the idea of social distancing and abstaining from group activities, my first question for you is, What data do we have that a return to sports is low risk for most athletes? So I think, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of data. The data that we have has come from Europe. As you know, Sweden didn't shut down schools, and there were several schools that were open when COVID started. In those primary education settings, there was not a lot of transmission from children to children. Most of the transmission has been from adults to children. And so we think that certainly in the lower age groups, the risk is lower. As we get into the high school age, I think the risk is probably similar to adult. And then we would have to look at the rates in the community to decide if having athletics that involves close competition is really a practical thing to do. And so it seems like we don't have a lot of data and the data we have is from other countries. So to be continued, I guess, as things open up and we collect more data from our athletes here. Yeah. And I think that's why the contract tracing is really important because we have to be able to monitor to see if what we're doing is causing problems and uh, how wide the problems would be if there aren't any infections within teams. And so, like we said, there's still some risk. COVID is still circulating, and the risk is there for both the youth athletes and their coaches. So what are some strategies that teams can use to mitigate their risks? So I think the social distancing is the first part. We at CHOP worked with the Policy Lab in Infectious Disease to come up with some algorithms for looking at play. And we developed a pyramid. And on that pyramid, the starting point would be to train alone by yourself And then as the infection risk goes down, we start adding people in. We would add people in through social distancing. And as the community rates go down, we would actually get into smaller groups that would be working together and then eventually getting to team play so that the amount of contact between individuals would slowly advance. We've talked of this as being your quarantine. So there'd be a team of people who are working and training together and as the risks go down, that team would go up. As part of this, mask use would be initiated early in the process. And then as the rates go down, we might be able to get away from using masks, but that would also be part of it. And then obviously good hand hygiene, not sharing personal equipments like towels and water bottles. And then probably just as importantly, making sure that the adults who are coming in contact with our athletes 
are social distancing and using masks. Right. And so not just focusing on the kids, but the coaches and the trainers and all the other people who are involved with the team. Correct. So it's not just about the risk from teammate to teammate, but also from adult interacting with the team. We can try to cut down on the number of adults who are interacting by limiting spectators, limiting parents dropping off kids and coming onto the field or coming into contact with other people, limiting the number of training partners that are available, potentially breaking groups into smaller subgroups and having coaches only work with one subgroup rather than coaches interacting with the entire team and cycling five coaches through a team, potentially just have one coach for a small group and each coach would have their own little group. So again, starting with small groups and then expanding to larger groups. Mm -hmm. Great. I like that expression, quarantine too. I think there's good catchphrases that come out of coronavirus and that that's one that I like because it does highlight also the small group cohorts that you're talking about and the social benefits of team sports, right? That you're all in this together. And so you're going to adhere to the same social distancing and hygiene protocols together as a team. Correct. So your group at CHOP has published some guidelines about returning to youth sports after the COVID-19 shutdown. And it seems that different sports may have different levels of risk based on their location, whether they're indoors or outdoors, and their degree of contact. So in your recommendations, do you make a distinction by the type of sport? Great question. And yes, there are definitely sports that adhere to just more social distancing guidelines like track, tennis, golf, swimming. They're a lot easier to social distance. But sports like soccer, basketball, football may have more of a risk of transmission because of contact and collision between the athletes. So there are definitely easier ways of getting back into some sport, understanding the risks of COVID. But at the same time, as mentioned, we want all athletes to be active. So soccer athletes, basketball athletes can still participate at a lower risk with practice. And then eventually, hopefully we can get back to full play. And a return to sports will require coaches to be more aware of COVID epidemiology and screening protocols. And as we've all learned, our knowledge of COVID changes rapidly, and it's likely that there will be waves of COVID shutdowns in the future. So how would you advise coaches to be flexible in their activities based on the levels of COVID-19 community transmission? So coaches definitely need to be flexible, as do the athletes during these really challenging times. Preparing for the start of the season is important, having protocols in place and policies if there are COVID symptoms or exposures. An idea is to have a COVID coordinator who can serve as the point of contact for athletes to report possible symptoms or exposures. Coaches also should be really on top of their athletes that they're following safe behaviors. And as we mentioned, having their athletes commit to a quarantine and really important to have frequent hand hygiene, avoiding any personal items being shared like water bottles or towels, and really following some sort of pyramid where at first we start with individual training apart from the team, and then eventually moving up the pyramid to gameplay being at the top. It's really important though during these times that we don't know what's going to happen with the amount of COVID in the community that we may go up and down in this pyramid. Maybe we can get back to gameplay for a time, but we're going to have to back off and scale down if there's increased amount of COVID in the community. Yeah, I think that's important for athletes to keep in mind that just because they may have advanced up the pyramid to one level, that they may have to be taking a few steps back at different times. So while community transmission remains high in some geographic areas, student athletes have been sitting at home for weeks or even months. 
So how can these athletes practice conditioning while social distancing? So I think on the bottom of the pyramid, we discussed that individual training can start immediately. There's no restriction on physical activity while there's COVID in the community. And the only restriction that we have is when people are training in groups that are close together. We know that outdoors have a significantly less risk of transmission than indoors. So as our athletes start to train and get back into conditioning, we would like to start that process outdoors and ramp up. I think that we have the opportunity outdoors to do social distancing at relatively low risks of transmission of COVID. And why is it important that our athletes do start conditioning now while they're waiting to go back to their team sports? I think we have kind of competing things here. The first one is that when athletes are returning to play, the same way that professional athletes have training camps or spring training for baseball, the idea is that they're going to get their body ready for competition by gradually ramping up. And so our athletes are no different than the professional athletes in that there has to be a a window of training to build up for competition. So competition is at the top of the pyramid and training is at the bottom. So during this break where people weren't able to be as active as we would like, there may be some deconditioning. And so starting the conditioning process and working back up to training and then full play is the ideal way to progress. I would add in as well that a lot of athletes have been sitting for three months or so not being as active and the risk of injury is much higher as you get back into activity after having had a long period of inactivity. So really focusing on conditioning, not on performance is incredibly important right now. Great. And as you both pointed out, that's something that they can be doing now while their teams might not yet have restarted their practice. They can do some conditioning on their own while they're at home. As there's some geographic variability in rates of community transmission and different counties and states may be in varying stages of reopening, travel sports may require special consideration. So what advice do you have for the consideration of restarting travel sports teams? I think this is one of the harder questions to answer. As mentioned before, guidelines vary by location because of transmission rates. With restarting travel sports, there's a risk that athletes may travel from a low-risk area and then play in a moderate or higher-risk area. So teams have to try to avoid playing in these regions, but that may alter their playing schedule, which is going to be very difficult for some. And then traveling can be challenging. We don't want people traveling in a in a bus filled with people, so we may have to travel in individual cars or reducing group size within the buses. Great. And I think that parents also may need to consider where they live and where they're traveling to as there may be local quarantine restrictions. So traveling to a particular game may mean quarantining for a period of time when you get home. So they'll have to weigh the pros and cons of all of those things. Some parents are likely eager for their child to return to sports, whereas others may be approaching this return with caution or fear. Resuming sports requires some risk-benefit analysis for each student-athlete, So in summary, what advice would you give to parents who are weighing the pros and cons of sports during COVID? I think fundamentally, we want to make sure that everyone is clear that exercise is good for children and their development. And so we would like to find a way to make exercise possible. Clearly, we're saying that with COVID present in the community, there is risk. And so the return to sports is trying to do risk mitigation with these guidelines. But we are not eliminating the risk. And ultimately, each family has to be comfortable with the amount of risk they take. So if someone has 
an immunocompromised or an elderly grandparent living in their home, if they bring COVID into the home, that potentially is devastating to the family. I wouldn't say that there is one size that fits all regarding risk analysis. Each family will have to make an individual assessment. These guidelines are designed to minimize the risk as much as possible. But if we don't have a cure or a vaccine for COVID, the risk is going to be present. And so we're trying to find ways to maintain physical activity in kids, despite there being some risk in the community. I think that the challenges can be real for not just the parents, but also for the children. There's been a lot of anxiety around COVID and how do I safely leave the home? How do I interact with my friends? The younger kids have been told you can't hug people, you can't touch people. So how then can we now tell people you need to go and be active and interact with people? So I really think that we have to weigh not just the pros and cons of exercise, but of mental health and really educate parents, coaches, pediatricians that children need to be active in a safe way. And that while COVID is real, we need to find ways to make sure that the other risks that might happen because of inactivity and decreased social interaction are minimized. Those are great points that this is an individual decision for families to make, even though we're talking about a team sport, and also that there are many pros of being active on these sports teams, but that they do come with some risks. And so this is something that everyone's going to have to discuss and make decisions for themselves. But we appreciate the guidelines that you are giving people in making these decisions so they can make an informed choice. And I know that many pediatricians will want to read these guidelines. So tell us where we can find them and how we can stay up to date on recommendations for youth sports during COVID. So if you go to CHOP's main website, On the very top, it has COVID recommendations. You can click on that and halfway down, the guidelines are available. You can also go to the website, which is a little bit long, but it is chop.edu slash navigating COVID-19 resources parents. And on that, you'll find not just returning to activities with all of the guidelines mentioned, but everything else on how to stay on track with vaccines and wellness, everything else that CHOP has for guidelines to offer. And tell us a little bit about where we can find sports medicine physicians like yourselves at CHOP. Where are you guys located in our community? So we have offices all around and all of the satellites. We're in New Jersey and Voorhees and Princeton. We are in King of Prussia, Bucks County at the Chalfont location, Brandywine Valley and Glen Mills, as well as uh, at the main hospital at the Burger Center. We are very accessible and we are available five days a week. Well, hopefully we won't have too many sports injuries because we'll be doing our conditioning before we get back (laughs) to practice and we're not going to be doing too much contact yet. So hopefully that will minimize a lot of the things that you usually see, but we appreciate that you're available to us whenever we need you. And we appreciate your thoughts on returning to sports during COVID. As you mentioned, this is a really complicated and nuanced topic and we appreciate your guidance with it. Thank you for having us today. Thanks for having us today, Katie. We appreciate an opportunity to discuss this important topic. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash PCP podcast for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat. 